Hi everyone, this is Jonathan Siboni. I'm the CEO of Luxury Insight. Welcome to our new series of podcasts in partnership with fashionnetwork.com. Today we are very pleased to welcome Olivier Tiskens, an amazing designer who of course we don't present anymore. Uh, Olivier won a CFDA at a very young age and then made amazing pieces and collections with Nina Ricci, Theory and naturally his brand. We're all looking forward to get to know more about the idea that are behind his spirit and magic. So have fun and good podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're talking to Olivier Theskins, one of, I have to say, one of the world's great uh, and influential designers, uh, a young Belgian gentleman who's very kindly agreed to come here uh, and uh, talk to us. My pleasure. Um, let's begin at the very beginning. You're from Brussels, and you and you went to Lacan, the great fashion school. When did you first get the idea of being a designer? Well, I grew up in Brussels. Yeah. My mother's French. Oh. She's from Normandy. Oh, wow. I was always feeling a little bit Frenchy for a Belgian <laughs> boy. And, uh, well, as far as I remember, I've always been attracted by you know, beautiful costumes, beautiful gowns yeah. that I would see on TV, yeah. under an opera or a movie. And yeah. I would sketch most, most of the time, like people dressed up, like couples at a wedding with the guy, with all the canopy, the details and everything. Like very early, uh, at an early age and little by little, it sort of like drifted to fashion drawings. I think in the mid eighties when I was seeing mm -hmm you know, sketches. Yeah. I remember seeing the sketches of Lacroix, of people like that. As a teenager. Or As a very young teenager, yeah. because... Uh, and uh, then I start like, and it was very 80s, you know, quick sketch with one color of pencil. And I, it was a uh, part of the global drawings that I would do over time. And one day someone told me, oh, you're gonna be a couturier. And I remember when I hear, heard that, <laughs> that I, I understood I could do this as a job when uh -huh. I would be an adult, you know, at, that age when you are asked when you enter school, like, what are you going to do be, uh, later? And yeah. you say astronaut or things like that. I would, I would put immediately couturier. Already at the age of like 12? Uh, yeah, my first sketches are from 86. <laughs> real, oh. dis, real fashion drawings are yeah, 86. Yeah. And before I have tons of sketches where you would see that I pay attention on the, on the dresses, on the look of people, street styles, people, things like that. I have like thousands of these sketches. You did? Yeah. So yeah. that's what helped you got accepted to Lacan? Actually, when I was a teenager, I didn't really thought I would still go yeah. into design. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, it was connected more with childhood. So when I was a teenager, I was more, all right, I'm going to be a surgeon or I'm going to eventually be an architect. And uh, when, I, when I ended up at Lacan, actually, it was by, a little bit by mistake. Really? Because I wanted to go to the architect school of Lacan, oh, yeah. and I had no idea that uh, the architect school and the art school, where the fashion department is, are oh, two yeah. different buildings in two different areas yeah. of the city. So I showed up where in the art school, and <laughs> they were just, you know, registering people for the pass exams to to accept you for yeah. the years. And so I decided to sign and try, and that's how I. And you got accepted? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you began then in, in when you were, what, uh, 19 or something? No, I was 17. 17, yeah. very, yeah. Yeah, I, I was out of school 
early, at an early age. I was 17 when I, when I started working at Roche, studying at uh, uh, La Cambre, I'm sorry. And, uh, and you finished in about three years? It's a five years courses, yeah, yeah. but I dropped off after two years. I left early. To set up your own? To, you know, to keep doing what I was doing, what I wanted to do. When I dropped off, I thought like, it's going to take 10 to 15 years before I even do a show, you know. And I kind of went very fast because I dropped off in January and... Uh, when you were like 19 or 20? I was 19. I don't know why. Um, and uh, I kept sewing things at home. I used everything I had on hand. And little by little, actually, it sort of accumulated and it made like an entire collection. And I was pretty lucky that I, I tried to go to Hier, you know, the festival. The festival you applied. I was refused. So I found another way to show my work on the beach side in, uh, in Belgium. And on, I, the, on the beach? On the beach. It was like a, a show that Etienne Rousseau, Villa Eugenie, you know, they're doing. He produced? He produced by the day. Like he was doing this big cigarette show with, with de designers. Uh, I had been assisting to the show they did the year before. There was D-squared and brands like that at the time. And, and uh, I was accepted to show my work at that show. It probably was during August 97. Yeah. And that was your first show? It was the first time I could show my, my work on, a on, on models, like on a runway, in on a, a multi-brand show. And there was Cookie de Salvert who was oh, uh, there. The great PR man of Fashion. Yeah. And he spotted me and he said, like, I just take everything that looks very summery and I bring oh. it to my showroom, you don't pay a thing. And, like, and you did. And, and I did, and that's, that's the, really the beginning. And then when did you first show in Paris? The season after. Well, six months. So it was like March 98. March 98, the first show in Paris, only with, you know, like with dramatic outfits made of uh, other fabrics that I had on hand, sheets from my Normandy family, piece, bits of lace, antiques. And I was using that show like a, a visit card. Yeah. I got like, follow, following the show, there was a showroom where people would just show up and yeah. buyers. And yeah. I would say like, that's just, I wanted to show you who I am and I'm going to get organized for next season to be able right. to sell my products. But they started buying anyway. They wanted, but they were saying no, because I had no structure. <laughs> to make anything. So I had like Maria Luisa, by the day, she took all of his clothes, she immediately did windows just to show. Julie Gillard from Barney's, she was like really begging to yeah. get the leather pieces. Yeah. And she was like, you didn't sew the leather pieces, you made them in an atelier, why can't you produce them for us? And like, I was like, no, next season, please, next season. So even though you're, you started very quickly in the thing, you took it cautiously? Yes. Yes, because also we were just a few kids, you know. Uh, and it was a moment where I was wondering, oh. how will I produce? You, you were hearing things about designers doing licenses with factories that would produce everything for them. Or, or I was turning also to travel to Italy to visit factories yeah. and talk to some people, show them some of the media coverage I had and, you know, just simply ask, uh, do you want to help on this project? Would you be okay for sewing two tailors here, uh, one jacket there? Uh. 
Tell me that uh, it was the following year that you suddenly cut this worldwide reputation after Madonna wore. It was it was in '99. Was that when she? No, in '98. '98 already. She, yeah, as a matter of fact, she wore. She wore your dress to the Academy Awards. Yeah, uh, and it was. I think it was probably February '98 before the show, so people had like the word out and... Before, it, wait, wait, there before the first show in Paris. Oh, before the first show in Paris, yes, yeah. which you don't, yeah, okay, wow. Yeah. So we, we, that show was the contrary of a, of a fashion disaster because it was disastrous because people were stuck in the, there was not enough room, people were stuck in the staircase while the show was starting on. I had to convert the backstage into a seating area oh. so the girls were basically dressing up uh, in, front of, in front of everybody. It was like just like very chaotic. But you know that we love that. Uh, when something like that happens, it's always like a good thing. Yeah, and that, that exciting debut that's raw is what everyone <laughs> looks for. Um, for a guy who created his own brand, like I can think of a few designers who started it in their teens. You know what I mean? There's a lot of designers starting to dress, but very, very few. Uh -huh. Counterintuitively, since then you've gone on to work for be the creative director of three different yeah. uh, houses. I mean, two quite famous French ones, and Anna and a part New York brand. How does that work? That you know that what, what, it's not it's untypical. It's you know like I, I kind of felt, and already by yeah. when I was doing my own brand, I already had the feeling like I was reading Harry Potter by the days, and uh, I was having the feeling I had like a similar life in terms of like. Mm -hmm book by book, it's another chapter, sort of, like, his life. And I had the same feeling, I was joking about it. And while I was doing my brand and going through the many challenges and crazy things you go through when you mm. initiate such, mm. such sort of business, I was starting to really dream about having the possibility to work for a more established brand because mm. of uh, the potential it offers to a designer, the facilities to work with a team, and mm -hmm. you know these things that when you don't know them, you sort of like start feeling like, oh, it would be so nice. And, <laughs> yeah. and you also, you know, like when you're passionate about beautiful fashion, Paris, and all of these things, you know, like you're the guy from Brussels and you're uh, yeah. loving French fashion. I was like looking for what for that, but suddenly, yeah, it happened. I had a possibility, and I moved to Paris. With Rochas, yeah. when you were 23? 24. 24, yeah. yeah. I did my brand for five years, and I moved to Paris when I was 24 to start with... Uh, did you stop your own brand, or you kept it going then? I stopped it. You know what happened? Uh. I did a summer 2002, which we presented in this crazy season when the world trade collapsed. It was, you know, nerve-breaking uh, for people in New York, obviously, oh. London, in Milano, but people showed up in Paris, and mm. so we had like a very intense season. It was great. Uh, following that, I got some little alerts without being aware, you know, like I was yeah. still very naive, but I, saw, I got some alerts like thinking like, we're gonna have some tough days, you know, even if we consider selling less, I might have to talk to a bank to try to get some money because <laughs> we were just, you know, on the thread of surviving. Yeah, yeah. So we, have, we, we, we can't accept this plan. And, uh, and at the same time, the possibility of working in Paris was also the possibility to have some other people working for me, following me. Yes, you could find positions for them. Yeah. yeah as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
you could pay something back in a way. I mean, I had considered other things, other brands, but I was never really truly sure about that feeling. But when Rochas contacted me, and it was a phone call, I was back then I was half time living in Berlin. And I was in Berlin when I got this phone call, so none of my German friends kind of knew the brand. Yeah. And I didn't really know, but I found out later my mother was had a perfume from Rochas. And, and then a friend in Paris had a book, and I saw lace elements that were very connected to my own universe, and no fashion department. We had to set up everything from, from scratch. I felt, okay, I'm very entrepreneurial. It's mm. the job for me. And, I'm going to go there. You have a very specific aesthetic uh, manages to combine kind of a, an, an historic romanticism with quite edgy, yeah. modern, yeah. faintly rock and roll, futurist clothes. Uh, and that kind of reappears in, in everywhere you go in yeah. different ways. Yeah. But, um, yeah. why, why do you think it's so strong? What, what is the origin? Well, I think that... For, it, clearly, a lot of elements in my work, even if sometimes a jacket will be 100% new somehow in its approach, there are elements that feel kind of culturally connected to fashion history or costumes. I've been like loving these, these imageries as a child already. I've been loving books with... I would look at the dictionary on the page of costume and I would just watch it over and over again. Like, I've never really studied costume, but I know about it. And I integrate shapes that I feel are nice to watch and to wear, and uh, whatever they feel sometimes more ancient. It's funny because when I was answering you right now, I, I don't know why I was thinking of Game of Thrones. I had no idea yeah, why. I was it's why was I thinking somehow it's because it's... I was thinking about it because it's not... It's costumes that, then, that have to be new. Because that have to be, yes, they yeah. They have to be new. They, yeah. they can't look exactly like a Spanish dress from 18th century. They have to be new. And somehow it's, it's something that I have to, like I will generate uh, often like a new aesthetic, but with components that make you feel it might be old, uh, historical sometimes. I often think when you look at your clothes, there's a sense of a court, you know, a royal court, or Versailles right. or Windsor right. or... Naples or wherever, the thing is made in kind of degradé linen or slightly messed up lace or leather. You would expect to see, you know, on a guitar player or something. Uh, yes. that's, that's what I think about yourself. You are, uh, for someone who started so young, still young, you're Generation X, you're not uh, millennial. No, right. yeah, no. You're just before they... Uh, no, no, no. You're born I'm, in the late 70s. I'm born 77. 77. Nowadays, most of the designers are, of the new generation coming along are nearly obliged to be social media activists. Yes. What, what's your feeling about that, about what role it has to play in Olivia Theskin's work? Well, when I start in fashion, obviously, I never felt I would have to produce content. And I, I was so happy about how the industry builds up in the end what you are. Mm. Like, you can always produce a campaign eventually. Mm. Yeah. But some of the great imageries and editorials, they sort of like build it up more my, my identity than myself sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I think of some of the works from Thomas Schenk with Matthias Vrins, some of what Vogue US did, and like they build up my brand more than I could do myself. And I don't want to say, like, today we have to be the desperate designers trying to build everything ourselves, you know, imagery and content and what we are. like. And I think it's good, but 
it's so nice to share that and have the support of the industry too and rely also on the production of outside production as a point of view that is like good for for that still I've been frustrated sometimes of how it was presented only through the lens of the media and, and felt like I would love to do something to show so what I am also. So I think it's an opportunity. But social media is, uh, is painful also for the time it requires. From it's the... painful, yeah, for the amount of time. I remember Dries Van Roten once I talked about you know, him, who maybe is the uh, commercially the most famous of the Belgian. Yeah, the most, yeah. You know. Um, he's one of the great ones, but he's also the biggest uh -uh. Of, of these independent mm -mm. 10 or 15 designers who came from Brussels and Antwerp. Uh, I remember once saying, like, why didn't he do an ad campaign? You know, and he had enough money, you know, he's turning over 50 million or 100 million dollars a year. And he said, think about an ad campaign. Actually, you define yourself by it, and you inevitably you cut off certain people. Of course. You know? So, in a way, I thought it was nearly more of a risk than a, a gain. Yeah, but you get more new ones too. You, know, you can do the math. <laughs> yes. You can inspire people who do not really look after you and then they are stuck seeing an image they really get obsessed by. So. But is it a concern for you that younger designers who just sort of grow up, who live their life in social media, right. maybe don't have as much talent in a way, you know, natural talent? Well, that is... I think the most important is that at some point they got the clothes reaching in reality people and obviously the social media is a huge tool for them to have that but mm. they just need the time to experience their growth in cloth making and learning like my my first years designing i was still learning i remember doing a show in paris but showing my first paint or the first time i used a certain color a certain oh. material i had not enough years behind me to I still need to learn, like, how is a tailored suit built? So even when I see new designers now, I also feel they're discovering something, they're just learning step by step. I can be in a professional world, but still learning. Do you work with influencers? Or you, do you feel you're obliged to work with I do not work with influencers. And sometimes I meet people and I have no clue they actually are. <laughs> you know, it's not written on the forehead. But and then you check and you see they have 1.5 million followers or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if suddenly I see that this Instagram page is so suddenly getting a boost, I'm like, okay, something happened. And then I find out, okay, this, this girl wore something and published it. And uh, obviously it has an impact. And, but then you get more followers suddenly. And maybe a month after you start losing some. And because they start... <laughs> thinking you are probably that type of brand and then they get disappointed because I'm not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to videotape. You did Rosh for about five years. Four. Four. Until more or less the company that owned it, uh, L'Oreal owned it. No, no, no. Uh, well, the first year was at Rosh uh, and I will always remember actually Sally Singer. Uh, I had like a lunch with her and she said, do you know that Cosmopolitan Cosmetics, who was a cosmetic group who owned Rochas among Vela. Who was it? It was. What was the company? Cosmopolitan Cosmetics. Yes, yes. It was like a, I think a German group. Yeah, they had yeah. Vela, they had uh, Gucci perfumes yeah, yeah. and Rochas among other things. And they got bought by PG, Procter and Gamble. Oh, yeah, sorry, not Gloria. What am I saying? Sally Singer, she told me, do you know that Rochas just. You, got guy, you guys got bought by Procter and Gamble. I had no clue about it. You didn't know? No. 
And I was like, okay, great. We're going to be like... Uh, uh, I was imagining it was perfect. And, uh, but I had a good experience with them because, you know, it was my first, you know, opportunity to understand what, what was mass market uh, in a way because they were taking care of brands like Gillette. Um, the only thing is that among the many huge, among us brands they had, we were the only little brand that was doing fashion. And when I said that, we were like 20, 20 employees in fashion. And they, they were very supportive. They were like, we're never going to not support you until, until the end of that contract. Like, we, yeah. we're going to support that, but yeah. we have no clue how to manage fashion. We have not even one person here who knows what are the best decisions. And we will never be able to, yeah. to keep doing this, which was sad for me because yeah. obviously... Because you knew then there was a deadline. Yeah, somehow, I, by the time I was trying to find solutions, I was hoping maybe the brand could be bought by someone else and, mm. and continue as a house because, you know, I was like very ambitious for the brand. I was like, this is going to be the brand, but it's like among the five most important brands of Paris mm -hmm. because it has perfumes, history, beauty. The DNA. Right. But in the end, you couldn't. No, in the, the end, end, they pulled the plug. Yeah, they stopped it to concentrate on the perfume. And somehow the brand had known that at the death of Marcel Rochas in the 50s, they just kept the perfume. So I was also questioning, is it so important? And eventually, like, it will run with the perfumes. And they restarted it later. They gave a licensing, I think. Yes, yeah. My views were also very conservative, like in the way that I thought it, had to, be like a, it had to be like a French house, meaning yeah. like you have a Parisian headquarters yeah, and yeah. everything under the same roof. Yeah. After that, then, when that finished, you took a break for a year or two before you Actually went. not, because while I knew it was coming to the end of that story, I got reached by Nina Ricci. And uh, I actually was drawing the last show I did for Rochas with... Oh. It was a theme of a chimney sweepers with, yeah. you know, a lot of like very dark collection, but with dresses with sky and birds holding mm -hmm. little foulards, little scarves in their beaks. And, mm -hmm. and I just got a call when I was drawing these dresses and I was like, my God, this is very richy. This is the birds. And, mm -hmm. yeah. and we did a resort for Rochas, which was like July and dealing my move to Ricci, and I moved to Ricci with 14 of the Rochas employees. 14? Yeah, and we ended up there in September, so we had like a short holiday, and we, September we were already like basically rushing the pre-collection at Ricci. So no holidays for me. <laughs> I moved from one to the other, like from one day to the other. When did you present the first show? Pre-collection was like uh, probably December or January. And then your first, first runway was in... Like uh, Winter that was shown in March. In, in, in Paris. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Tuileries. Uh, did you, how did you alter your head from... You didn't really have to. No, because... You had moved on already. When I was doing Rochas, I was also willing to do my brand at some point. I was obviously thinking about it, but also in a way that my girl was a bit less ladylike. She was more cool. She was more, you know, modern and, like, mm. edgier and... Mm. And so when, when I considered Richie, I was like, okay, this is more a girly story. Like, I want to think about it as a paradise for, for girls. And, yeah. and if I look backwards and I see my work back then, it immediately shows that I was into another type of girl there. And uh, I had a small 
frustration building up in me probably because of the road I was taking. Oh yeah, so you were in, when did you join Richie? 2008 or something? No. Uh, earlier, uh, I, the first winter was 2007, so oh. I started end of 2006. I was 29. Oh, okay. And it was already at that stage you were named international designer by the CFDA. When yeah. was that? Yeah, it was in 2006 for oh, the Russians. already? Even yeah. before you went to Russia? Yeah, and I was very naive. I thought that, way because of the price, P&G, we're yeah. going to decide to continue. And oh, they didn't. Do you, do you think fame and acclaim came too early for you? I don't know, because it might look like that, but my life was more when, uh, you know, in these, all these years, I, I was very busy and I was enjoying, obviously, yeah. uh, to see that there was a form of recognition and like something going on, but I yeah. was in the same time having a very simple life in Brussels and after in Paris, I was always with my friends that welcomed me at their place and, and uh, I never really disconnected from this way of living. Yeah. I never went big head, driver, whatever. Private way. I was taking the subway <laughs> when I was going to Nina Ritchie because yeah. I hated the taxi were late all the uh, time. Yeah. I, you know, that, that's how I am, and I'm, I have this Belgian spirit too, you know. Indian, simple. And why not? Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm Irish, I'm a bit aware of that myself. Um, then you went to New York, you went to theory. Yeah. After which, a, that was a big change. I took a year off. Yeah. I really definitely felt I need to experience what is a sabbatic year, and obviously I loved it. <laughs> Where did you go? Did you go anywhere? No. I traveled just... a lot. Obviously, I found a boyfriend, and then uh, I traveled a lot. India? No. I traveled Asia. so much. Like when I take a sabbatic year, because I take several, I just do move my ticket. Always, uh, the return ticket is always cancelled and postponed, and I just go. But where did you go? Well, I remember once I spent a lot of time in Brazil. Oh. Like last sabbatical year, I was also again in Brazil and I moved to Chile. While it was winter in New York, I would just, I would just look for having two summers a year. <laughs> I went to Korea and Japan. I traveled as much as I could when I was in my 20s because yeah. we never really took a plane. I never took a plane before I was 17. Really? Yeah, for a short trip. And I was like, I was loving Tintin and these kind of things. And I was like loving David Attenborough. And like, I was really dreaming of seeing like other ecosystems and other places in the world. And like, and when I was 20, in my 20s, when I could afford it, I, I became obsessed with traveling. I was like a travelholic. Yeah. <laughs> um, you moved to New York and you lived a New York life really then for four or five years, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I moved to New York. Uh, it happened in a very organic way because oh. I, I, I wanted to relaunch my brand and we were in 2010. So I was really like working on a plan and, oh. and I wanted to do it slightly more accessible because oh. I, want, I was interested to understand how it works and somehow I met several people in New York and, were, and we went on a, with Andrew Rosen yeah. Who's, who's the CEO, who was back then the CEO of Theory, the brand. And he was like, you know, we should work together because you will understand how that works. We can make like something together. And I got the idea to do a joint venture with the two brands, uh, Tesco and Theory. Yeah. So I did like a, a capsule 
And the response was very, very positive. It was like summer 11, and following that, I got offered the job to yeah. do the artistic direction of the global brand, yeah. plus continuing the capsule of Tesco yeah. Theory, which was like a huge challenge, but a great opportunity that I took. I commercially, it worked very well. The brand was, had to be transformed, not too dramatically, but to yeah. evolve and we experienced like uh, I mean we doubled our numbers in, in a matter of four years oh, wow. so it was fascinating for me because my previous artistic direction I didn't had so much the possibility to work on retail to work on menswear like in that case I was working on menswear too and to learn you know like with a very healthy brand how all of that works you know and uh, it was not like saving someone, it was more like coming in and helping boost it, you know. Well, why did you decide to end the relationship? It was not totally me, it was more, we were conscious from the beginning that I wanted to do my brand. And Andrew is someone very sensitive for being like a, a yeah. CEO, he's <laughs> extremely sensitive. and. He, after several years, we had changed it and there was something running and I wasn't like, my brain wasn't used as much as it could be. And, yeah. and he was saying like, if you don't move, you're going to just get rooted here and you're going to do that only, only that in your life. Like, yeah. it was true. And I was saying, yeah, you're, you're right. Maybe we should. Like, we were always adding a year. We were always doing like, okay, let's do one more year, one more year. Oh, yeah, one more, no. And at some point we were like, yeah, maybe. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. So you returned then to Europe, you reignited your brand yeah. after a break of 10, 12 years? More. <laughs> I finished my brand in 2002 and I relaunched it in 2016. So 14 January years. 2016. Uh, and since then you've got a lot of acclaim. The reviews have been good. I loved your uh, Blade Runner. Ah, the last show. Meets. I would have said Mall Flanders, Mall Flanders, you know, that English term for a romantic restoration. What's your advice to those you know, young people who'd like to get into fashion, young people who want to be designers? I think every fashion story is different. Like you learn like, okay, uh, Armani started having a store and he was probably more than 40 when it started. Uh -huh. Like so many different stories, like Saint Laurent Carl, and, uh, Vivian Westwood. Uh, so I, 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 I encounter a lot of students because I, every year I do one or two juries and I meet with students or I do a talk with them and like, I, I, I have advices for them to be cautious but to follow their guts, to not do something if they don't really feel 100% for, to surround themselves, to think of anyone who can help around them. That's so important to get a team of thinkers with you and some of the things that you might not think when you're a student because you have a feeling everything is about yourself and what you can yourself achieve when actually collective work is a key in this industry and uh, and yes and also think of your balance later what is really like your satisfaction is it like doing an amazing product that just is visible or liking when your mother and sister can actually wear them like it's all of these things that they need to feel and uh, so I talk about that with them many times and that's the advice you give it's a form of advice I'm like take care and don't spend everything too fast 
<laughs> Don't spend anything too quick. Hold on. Did you spend uh, your? Did you spend what you made? You, I mean, she must have been reasonably well paid from those jobs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously, it's it's different when you can bring services to someone. Yeah. When you're on your own, yeah. when you're a student starter, starting, like you don't really measure your needs. Mm. I got some support from my family because my grandfather passed mm. when I was young, and some of these things that kept me afloat and kept me independent. Yeah. I got a very lucky situation of a factory who actually bankrupt. Uh, it was a factory doing a lot of products for different brands they and they had, they had bought a lot of things for me and were bankrupt and I had the chance to get everything that they had, you know, so that they had paid before they bankrupt and I could actually use that without having to buy them. And these little things, you know, it's very rock and roll, it sounds weird. I speak about that story in the fact that when you're young and you start, uh -huh. think also of maybe your lucky star, maybe you're going to have difficulties, but something can happen, which is maybe a type of luck, of situation, good energy surrounding you. Who are the designers you most admire? Well, depending on the time, like I've been great admirer of Saint Laurent, or Muccia, Karl, uh, Vivienne, Westwood, oh. even Jean-Paul Gaultier, Montana, what I love is the diversity. I think I love the authenticity. I hate when someone just do a pseudo something. Oh. I just like designers who have a voice. Helmut Lang. You know, it came up front from other very successful designers, which I think are doing great, but I'm not admiring so much oh. their, their world of their creativity. I was chastised for talking too much this morning. <laughs> and they have to edit, so I'm going to have to cut you off here. But like uh, Olivia Teskins, it's been great talking to you. My pleasure, anytime.